Kieran Garrahy and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter. From their first memories of laughter, to feeling laughed at, to the person they always laugh with. I don't mean to make the newsroom sound, you know, like a terribly uh, gloomy place. There were great characters in it and great laughs, great laughs and shockingly bad behaviour. <laughs> Love and romance and all sorts oh, of shocking. Yes, it's not every day you have Irish broadcasting royalty in the building. Bow down and curtsy to the legend that is my guest on today's podcast, Her Royal Highness Anne Doyle. We chatted about her ultimate cocktail of choice, why broadcasting to the nation was actually one of the loneliest feelings she's ever experienced, and the incident in a Cuban hotel that showed her why it's never a good idea to leave a party early. This season of The Last of Your Life is sponsored by FNF Clothing, available at Tesco. Style to help real people feel great. This time of year, it can be easy to slip into a pattern of dressing in darker colours just because we're in the throes of autumn winter, but I'm making an active effort to put a stop to that nonsense this year. I was in the FNF in Dunleary this week and there are gorgeous pieces with bold patterns, bright colours and, dare I say, even festive numbers to help you stay on trend. I picked up a cream oversized polo neck jumper that could almost pass as like a jumper dress. You know the type, you just throw it on over leggings and you're good to go. There are actually three variations of that. There's one with a grey pattern, one with black and one with pink with a cable knit, which is the one I went for. Peak cosiness. Pop into FNF for one while they're hot. There's some seriously gorgeous teddy coats in store at the moment as well. FYI, FNF makes fashion sense. Available at Tesco. And now for my chat with Anne Doyle. I hope you enjoy. Anne Doyle, you are extremely welcome to the Laughs of Your Life podcast. I'm extremely happy to be here. Thank you. We had a little chat there a couple of minutes ago about, I was telling you about a lovely cruise I'd been on over the summer. And I reckon it wouldn't really be your style from what I can gather. Well, I'm being very unadventurous because I'm dismissing something I've never done. (laughs) I would like the idea of doing that northern lights yes uh round the fjords etc but i'm reliably told that if you go there in any kind of warm weather the mosquitoes will actually eat you right yeah. and they tend to find me quite attractive um surprisingly so uh, so i don't know i i wonder would i feel a bit trapped absolutely not i had a ball so usually when we have icons on the podcast often they haven't read the questions because they just don't really need to because they're able to come up with the answers on the spot. But you have done your homework, I hear. Well, I read the questions. Okay. I'm not too sure that I've come up with the answers. <laughs> I, I was I was trying to impress. I was being good. <laughs> Shall we commence? Why not? Okay. And Doyle, your first memory of laughter. I suppose I would have been maybe about four. I was the youngest in our family. And my father, like many decent countrymen, went through phases of attempting to get us to say the family rosary. Now, we were a big family, I had five brothers. So um, my my first memory of laughter has sort of stayed with me because laughter for me is sort of, there's a kind of hysterical edge to it. And we invariably started to laugh. You know, you know that out of control giggling when you know that you shouldn't. Yes. Uh, so we would get through maybe two or three nights of the family rosary and then somebody would start giggling, little 
you know, the shoulders the shaking or whatever. Shoulders. And then somebody else would start and then eventually it would just, you know, there'd be somebody would snort out laughing and then daddy would be, uh, no, he was a very quiet, mild-mannered man. So he wouldn't give out to you so much, but he would just say, oh, stop it. Don't no, count them. This is the rosary and whatever. And then we'd have a respite for a period of time and it would all start all over <laughs> again. But it's, it's the first time in my life that I can remember just laughing uncontrollably and the best kind of laughter at nothing. (laughs) At nothing, at nothing. And the ripple effect across the family. Talk to me about being the youngest. Did you relish that role? Well, see, I didn't have any experience of being anything else. That's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know, I've no idea what it would have been like had there been other children after me. Do you think you had a level of maturity because you were the... I I, I get what you're saying. I was the youngest and I'm the youngest as well. And you just see yourself as not only just a person, but I saw myself as my sister's ages. Like my my eldest sister is five years older than me. And I just believed I was of the same age and maturity as her. Well, that sums it up really very well because... You, you're, you, you're, you know, age-wise, you're upping your game all the time. Yes. And also, I wasn't. It was really where I lived was really quite remote then, and there weren't any other girls. There were, you know, the nearest neighbour we had had grown-up daughters, right. and my sister was the eldest, and she was eleven years older than me, so she was quite grown up. So I was really only accustomed to boys. So it was her five boys and then you. Yeah, they were very happy times, uh, poor and decent, you know, Uh, but they were actually probably the happiest years of my life. But I do remember when I was I was in boarding school when I was 12. And I think when I was about 14, my mother broke her wrist um, standing on the table wallpaper. And I was brought home from school couple of weeks before Easter. So I was at home maybe for four or five weeks and I would have been quite a slim girl, believe it or not. And when I went back to school, I was skin and bone because the amount I had no concept of the amount of work that my mother did and she was doing as much as she could. Mm -hmm. And it would be very traditional. The boys did whatever they did outdoors. I had been brought up more or less as a boy. So I had to step up now to a world that I was you know, I'd never baked bread. I'd never made dinners. Yeah. Uh, I'd ne- I just hadn't done that sort of thing. I've stuck fairly rigidly to that, by the way, apart from the four or five weeks <laughs> that I was questioned <laughs> to service. But yeah, I mean, I was. I remember when I went back to school, the nuns used to send me to bed early and you got milk and biscuits. Unheard of luxury, I can tell you. Wow. OK, Anne, the first time you felt laughed at, can you recall? I thought about this and... I'm kind of cheating here because I don't actually think that I was laughed at. But the experience was, I suppose, similar of just mortification, really. Um, I remember I was taking part in a concert in the local hall in the village of Ferns. And I probably was about eight or nine. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that. I I was unaware of the existence of stage fright and I would have been probably a kind of a aspirationally a performer at home as in I loved you know reciting badly right singing 
badly, etc. But that was at home. Yes. So you totally different. You'd yeah, throw you didn't on pay a any show. attention. I mean, yeah. they, they, they probably didn't even notice enough to laugh at you. <laughs> so, um, so I had to sing a verse of a song. It was a, it was a, a competition, and we all had to sing a verse. And I didn't know that I'd be frightened. It's a kind of a metaphor for life, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you never know how frightened you're going to be. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I walked out on the stage and I remember seeing all the faces. Yeah. Like the, the Hall in Ferns wasn't a huge emporium, but I can tell you to me. Uh, it felt like a stadium. It, it was absolutely. Yeah. And I looked at all the faces. They weren't laughing at you. were just looking expectantly. Yeah. And... I could not remember the words. Oh, Complete, the utter blank. And I was aware that people were saying something. They were calling up the words. Oh, God help them. I'm sure help. some of them probably laughed as well. <laughs> uh, but it was, I was rooted to the ground. That fear. It was awful. No wonder it's such a universal fear. Public speaking, being in front of a crowd. It's, yeah, I didn't know say, about it, you see. I had no idea. You can't I, prepare for it. No, I, I thought it would be fine. I would just stand up on the stage. And I knew the words. Yeah. I knew all the words of the song. But it mm. stays with you, that fear, that feeling. And so you mentioned that, you, you know, you'd perform at home and obviously did that performance in, in the hall. Did you know that you wanted to pursue some sort of career in front of people or, you know, performing in a way? Probably not. I would think the experience on the stage in Ferns should have taught me a lesson for life. Um, <laughs> when I was in boarding school, I had a deep dislike of games. Right. Um, I actually am very fond of sport. I enjoy sport and follow it. Most sports, actually, quite avidly. But I am an observer, not a participant. Right. Uh, and I have, you know, hand-eye coordination, etc. Simply doesn't exist. <laughs> Sense of direction doesn't exist. I mean, I, I could easily get lost in one room. Uh, so th this was not for me and I didn't want. I, I did reluctantly manage to get through one year of hockey. And I just said, no, I'm not doing this. And in those days, you didn't say you weren't doing it. But I did do debating, public speaking, and I was good at it. Uh, and I think... I got better at it very fast because I kind of got a pass. I, yes. I was let off the yeah. games really on the basis that... You, you were know, excelling. Yeah, the chances are that you could send me out to some competition and I would at least do reasonably well and maybe win. Okay. Uh, yeah, so um, so I, I sort of drifted into that by default due to my inability to play netball, basketball, <laughs> handball, any other kind of... <laughs> I was a good student in that I was academically reasonably bright. Okay. I didn't find lessons difficult. Okay. But I was very bold. Oh, in what way? I, I wasn't good with rules. Right. I, I never really cared much for rules that don't make any sense. And there were a lot of rules that were silly. Like you didn't, you know, you're, you're going into the refectory for, for your lunch or your what, tea or whatever. You don't talk in the corridors. You, yeah. you know, you don't speak until somebody rings a bell. Then they ring the bell and you don't speak anymore. I just couldn't get the point of that. And it was a small school, so it wasn't exactly going to turn into mayhem. Yeah. You know, so I usually didn't pay much attention to right. it. Got away with it. And the moment when, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Can you recall? Oh, Lord. I do remember having a particularly 
mortifying experience that I actually ended up falling around laughing. Right. But I couldn't think of anything else to do. I was <laughs> I, years ago now, uh, not 20 years ago, and I was on a trip with a group of people I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I was brave in those days or foolhardy to Cuba. And we were traveling fairly extensively. Uh, I mean, we went to the usual places, but then we traveled around the country and we stayed in, we had arrived at, a, at some like small kind of hotel and everybody tore into the drink, whatever drink you could get. And on a rare, it, unlike me to show any sense, but I must have been feeling a bit under the weather and I decided I'd go to bed early. Right. And I did. Um, and sometimes they had power cuts. So I got up to go to the bathroom after about an hour. The lights had gone. So anyway, stumbled around in the dark. That was fine. Got back into bed. Hmm. And then I woke up maybe an hour later. The lights had come back on and looked around. And I did not recognize the room that I was in. <laughs> but worse, there were two beds. And there was one couple on this trip that I found very precious and I had avoided them. They were also extremely nosy and they had various artifacts and luggage that was very identifiable. And I was in their room (laughs) and I thought, oh, my God almighty, I don't know what to do. So I picked up the phone and I got somebody in reception and I said, where am I? I mean, I really (laughs) felt like I'd gone through the looking glass. And the guy said to me, you're in, let's say he said, Room 106. Yeah. And he said, where do you think you are? <laughs> Who is this? So I banged down the phone. <laughs> so I thought I, uh, I, I, I steadied myself, panic stricken at this stage, because of all the people whose room you did not want to have wandered into, I, I said to myself, well, I got here some way. I wasn't spirited by aliens. <laughs> Maybe I was. Um, the, the rooms, some of them had been interconnecting. Right. And there was a little wallpapered over, but not quite, door. And I saw the, the little gap. The crack, oh, thank God. You know, every time I'm on the train now and it says, mind the gap, I'm back in Cuba now. <laughs> so I just belted through um, that. The crevice. Yeah. And closed the door. And then I took a fit of laughing. And I got dressed and went down. My companions were all still making whoopee down below. <laughs> Moral of the story, never go to bed early. And, <laughs> and I arrived down and, and I told them and they knew the couple, you yeah, know, yeah. and the, uh, who were still down there. Right. And then everybody started to laugh hysterically. <laughs> it was, But I mean, I really, it was, a, there was a hysterical edge to it because I think if those people had walked in the door and I didn't know how I'd got there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I couldn't even explain, explain it. What are you it. doing here? I don't know. <laughs> would this have been in your sort of college days? What age would you have been at this stage? And and what were your, you know, 20s, 30s like? Regrettably, I was well in my 30s. When right. I, that, yeah. That particular incident. Mm. And at what point did you find yourself going into broadcasting? Can you Can you cast your mind back? Yeah, um, I was working in uh, over in Ivy House in, in Foreign Affairs. Yes. And in those days, uh, the job, the newsreader job was advertised. It, that doesn't work like that anymore. People come from a background or within the organisation or a similar organisation or, you know. Yes. Um, 
I, I was probably the la- I was the last experiment in taking somebody in off the street. <laughs> the fact that it was discontinued may tell the tale. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so they just advertised, and it was I was in the pub with a friend of mine who said to me, "Oh, you'd love that hand. You'd be great at that." Why? You know, yeah. we, we never discussed why. I said, "Do you think?" I oh, sure I'd never get that anyway. And she said, "Go on, apply." She was changing jobs, actually, herself at the time. So she was, she was looking up different... She was in a kind of computer whiz thing. And she said to me, yeah, go on, try. So I applied and I certainly did so with no expectation. So did you do a, like a screen test or a camera test or something? Oh, listen, it was like going around to entry. You, you, you did endless tests. It was a perfect example of being made to want something that you didn't actually start off particularly wanting. Right. Um, so you, you, I think you wrote in first and then they culled. And you can imagine in an open competition that there was a lot of culling. And then you were brought in for a screen test and you were brought in for a voice test. And others, daddy, daddy, da. And so by the time you had got over Beaches Brook, you know, you thought, I really, really want to win the Grand National. Yeah. Um, then I got the job. I never looked back. Well, I nearly died when I got the job because it was worse than being in Ferns, you know, attempting to sing a verse of the bridge below the town. I mean, boy, did I learn that I hadn't got over stage fright. Really? Oh, God, yeah. Really? And now I'd given up my good job in the civil service. So you had already quit Permanent that job? Permanent and pension. Well, you had to. I mean, I, I, they offered me the job. I said, oh, wonderful. <laughs> uh, I had no idea what it would be like. So you had given up the permanent pensionable job? Yeah, I was taking this job. This was this stage, believe me, it had been made so difficult that I wanted it. Yeah. Then I got it. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> and how did you get over the stage fright? I don't think I ever did. Really? Uh, I mean, it obviously got much, much less terrifying, shall okay, we say. right. But I don't think I ever really did. I, I got over stage fright, actually, in terms of... Funny, apart from the experience as a child, that first experience, I was never too frightened, say, speaking in public. Right. I I know some people are affected more by seeing faces. I was always better when I could see people. Right, OK. I was kind of OK with that. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you also get a response a from people. A bounce back. You, it's a, a yeah. conversation. The or, idea yeah. of that just... You know, down the lens, the the aloneness of it. You know, yeah. I imagine death is something similar. <laughs> Not that live I'm TV. rushing for the comparison, but <laughs> so live TV and death on a, on a par. Yeah, it it really terrified me. And I mean, years later, I asked you know other colleagues, people who came in after me, and really, they didn't suffer this. I kind of thought everybody did. Yeah, but they didn't. I think anyone. If you were to ask anyone in Ireland about, you know, a newsreader over the past number of years and who do they think definitely is as cool as a cucumber underneath it all, they would absolutely say Anne Doyle. So I'm shocked to hear. Yeah, that would be fear. I was perfectly <laughs> frozen, set in aspic. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no I, it has been remarked to me that I seem to be quite unflappable. Totally. Which goes to show that I was a gigantic loss to the stage. <laughs> <laughs> because if I was saying, well, it was, I was so frightened. I honestly don't think I ever walked into 
a television bulletin without fear. And would it be nerves all day or would it be when you're sitting in the chair and you hear the sting at the start of news, the music? It would be the last five minutes, I suppose. Right. The last five minutes, say for nine o'clock, when very often everything has changed, you know, uh, never the idea that it's all there and done for you. And you're, you're, you know, maybe trying to change your headlines or you haven't finished writing your headlines and it's four minutes to nine and right. you've got to get the earpiece in, you've got to get plugged in and you've got to get down the corridor. And that is a terribly lonely feeling. Anybody who listens to this, they'll certainly never look for a career in television. <laughs> Radio is a better man. I think so. Okay, Anne, uh, your no laughing matter moment in life, a time where there was no room for laughter. Well, I don't mean to be morose, but there's no getting away from it. There are, you know, the people you love that you lose, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, particularly, say, when you find out when they get news that they're, you know, terminally ill or somebody dies suddenly or whatever, there, there's not much room for laughter with those. Although uh, I, I made a great friend in Cuba on that ill-fated expedition and we stayed in touch. She lived down in Carlo um, and she was a fabulous woman, full of life. She was a good bit older than me, but actually mentally, physically and every other way, younger Mm-hmm. And she was fabulous and she had huge energy, energy levels. Anyway, she, she had a, a short, sharp illness. And the last time I saw her, uh, her cousins were looking after her. They were, they were wonderful. She was at home and her cousin said, I bring you in. Um, I'll bring in a tray of tea now. And Bridie, for that was her name, said, Anne and I always have a little vodka. <laughs> and the cousin brought in a <laughs> bottle of vodka. She was a very sensible woman. She brought in a bottle of vodka and a couple of glasses. And Bridie probably wasn't really quite able to take... She certainly couldn't have faced tea, but she had a few sips of vodka with me out pouring merrily and freely and she said to me now you work way Anne and then she closed her eyes it was like you know that song um, the Red River Valley we just closed our eyes and dreamed of southern kitchens and tried to sing a verse of that old song it was like that she said to me tell me the story again Anne about the night you went into and she knew the people's names she knew them (laughs) that you went into and I I was half crying I started to laugh she started to laugh and she said maybe I'll have another little drop of that vodka and she did a great pal I'm sure you know over the years is it 33 years you were with Mm Ortiz 33 yep I'm sure you had moments in in the newsroom, and I and I know um, when I first started in radio, one of the, I suppose, rudest awakenings in a, I was in the entertainment side of things and doing the entertainment bulletins, but but in the newsroom, the Berkeley tragedy happened, and anyone who worked in the in the news side of things said that that was possibly one of the worst news stories to cover, and I think it was one of those ones that everyone felt connected to it. We all did a J1 or knew someone who mm. did. You know what I mean? It was just mm. one of those stories that rocks the country. Can you think of any standout ones for you that were just very much no laughing matter moments in the newsroom? Oh, Lord. Well, I mean, it. it I hope that it doesn't sound disrespectful or glib of me to say that, unfortunately, 
there were so many. Mm. Um, the probably one that definitely rocked the country and I was very new in the newsroom so I suppose I'm not saying you get too hardened but you do get accustomed to the fact that tragedies happen um, the stardust mm. the stardust tragedy um, the first really big story I remember that was a tragedy was the uh, Whitty Island disaster the Betelgeuse um, and that was not only a tragedy, but it was a huge eye-opener for me because I had never been in the newsroom when a big story broke. Now, it would have been very different then to now, you know, where now where you have instant news and people are going on right away. But normally I was on an early morning shift and you'd, you'd ramble in for about half five or whatever. And it was before Morning Ireland. So there would be a couple of miserable yawning souls like yourself and a night man <laughs> who was exhausted and going home and I'm walking up the stairs and I can hear all this noise people's mm. voices and I thought my god what's going on here because anybody who could be contacted had had been pulled in mm. but and then of course the um the endless as they seemed at the time northern troubles mm. that that was just an ongoing heartbreak really okay shall we move on to something lighter I'm beginning to think I don't do like. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you do. The person you always laugh with, Andoyle. Well, this is this is really, you know, copper fastening, me being not a light person. But um, there are lots of people that I'm lucky enough to laugh with. But my standout person that I always laughed with, and regrettably, she is no longer with us, was my friend Jennifer Smith, who worked in the newsroom. She was just, she had the best sense of humour and the best laugh. And I mean, anybody who ever knew her in the newsroom would know exactly what I mean. You would hear that, you know, a really infectious laugh. Yes, the best. And if, you know, you'd walk in and you'd smile. You'd yeah. hear Jennifer. <laughs> and even, you know, uh, everybody remarked afterwards that you'd always miss when she retired uh, and her health was failing. You know, that that laugh was gone out of the place because I don't mean to make the newsroom sound, you know, like a terribly uh, gloomy place. There were great characters in it and great laughs, great laughs and shockingly bad behaviour. <laughs> love and romance and all sorts oh, of shocking, but oh, my lips man. are sealed. Ah, come on. Nah, no. We don't need names. No, no, you have to give me money. Affairs? Any, affa <laughs> any affairs? You can, yes or no? Yeah? Wouldn't oh, know. I haven't the slightest doubt, but right. I, being a country woman, wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Anne, a time where you had the last laugh. I'd say you love a last laugh. Um... Not that I managed to have uh, cut-glass diction, but when I was little and I had a weakness for recitation, I couldn't pronounce R. I was a, an O person. Right. And I had one little poem, a William Blake poem that I used to say, which had a lot of R's in it. And I was always being asked... I thought I was brilliant. Aww. I was always being asked to recite that one. You know, the one that said, <laughs> by by the stream and oh, the mead. And it was, yeah. Uh, but uh, I grew out of it. Yeah. I didn't even know I had it until I'd grown out of it. And then people said to me, we used to get you to say that so we could laugh For at it. For the crack. Yeah. And look at you <laughs> And have. me thinking I was fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> and you went on to do the job that you did. So, yes, that's Got absolutely. Got over the hours. That's no, nice... I mean, it's a thing that I think children just of grow out of. They do. 
Okay, Anne, if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be? Drink. <laughs> Drink. Drink. Father Jack. Uh, <laughs> lots of dwink. Um, vodka and soda is very soothing. Reading. Right. Reading things that make you laugh. And I have books that make me laugh out loud. That you uh, go back to for oh, a God, laugh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you'd reread. Oh, God, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, the ones that make you laugh out loud are the, the kind of treasures that you have. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes they're the best medicine you could have. I mean, the dwink is all very fine in its own way. Well, I wanted to go back to the dwink. You so, not <laughs> to go too mad on it. Do you know what I mean? So would you have, you'd, so if you were to have a long day, get home, and just want a nice drink, what, would it be vodka soda or would you have wine? Would you be a more a spirit person? If I was very good and I was very busy and organised and knew I had to get up early the next day and all of that, like when I was working and I was working every night, I would have probably had a glass or two of red wine. When you got home, just to yeah. get back. But then it would come to the weekend or what. You know, it mightn't have been a weekend, but whenever my time off came up. Yes. And then I'm afraid it wouldn't have been a glass or two of <laughs> red wine. It would have been, roll out the vodka. <laughs> so, do, do you like... A little cocktail, of course. Oh, yeah. What would be your, nice your choice? Nice cocktail or three. <laughs> what would be your choice of cocktail? Nice I porn star martini, maybe. Well, I, I used to. I like uh, a dirty martini. Right. I had a kind of a liking for espresso martinis, but I overdid those one day and it was it was definitely the coffee that got me. Yes. But honest to God, my heart was thumping for hours. Uh, so I've I had kind that. Of, I kind of passed on that since. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. But I like I like dirty martini. Lovely. That or reading. And what about ghost stories? Tell me about them. I wouldn't want to scare you. <laughs> But there's a fabulous anthology. Really? Yeah. <laughs> and there's a scary looking woman on the front that somebody said to me bore a passing resemblance to myself. <laughs> not true, not true. <laughs> okay, are you ready for your quick fire round, Anne? Very indecisive here. The actor that you always laugh at. Peter Sellers. Right. But also Walter Matthau. Jack Lemon combination. Also right. Laurel and Hardy. But Peter Sellers. Okay, that's your final answer. The actress you always laugh at. Shirley MacLaine. Lovely. Well, you are quick. The movie you always laugh out loud at. Any of the Pink Panthers. Really? I am a simple person. Yeah, any of them at all. <laughs> the comedian that makes you laugh out loud. I'm sorry she's dead. You can. You I can... don't really want to be bringing up death all the time. Go but you on. Know, I, on account of being immersed in the ghosts and That's so on. Of course. Joan Rivers. Ah. Indubitably. Oh, God. Do you like that? Indubitably. <laughs> oh, she was fabulous. Imagine you and her having a glass of red she together. She was just so wicked yeah. and so funny. Wicked, funny, fabulous. She was fabulous. Yeah, she was brilliant. And finally, Anne, oh, I don't want you to go. We'll have to have a drink at some point. Would you, would you go for a drink with me sometime? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No problem. Finally, Anne. Did you like that struggle? Yeah. Enormous mental and physical, spiritual turmoil there. Yep. <laughs> Finally, Anne Doyle, your best or worst joke? Hopeless on jokes, but 
I asked a friend of mine, thank you, Dave. I asked a friend of mine who's very good on jokes and mm. he said to me, well, it'll have to be something very, very simple, Anne, because you like very simple jokes. Right. Which I thought was a bit rude, really, but he didn't bit. mean it that way. No, no, no. So this is my borrowed joke. Lovely. I went for a job interview today. Oh. Interviewer said to me, what's your greatest flaw? Mm. I said, no problem, honesty. Interviewer said, honesty's not a flaw. I said, I don't give a fuck what you think. (laughs) Brilliant, 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 brilliant. It appeals to my subtle mind. (laughs) Anne Doyle, oh, what a way to bow out. Thank you so much for sharing the laughs of your life. Pleasure was mine. (laughs) Thank you for listening to The Laughs of Your Life with Anne Doyle. Very much in keeping with this time of year, Anne has released a frightful anthology of her favourite Irish ghost stories called Tales of the Other World, which is available now in all good bookstores. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate and review. It really helps the show if you do. This podcast is produced by Chemistry Media and Collaborative Studios. And this season of The Last of Your Life is brought to you by FNF Fashion at Tesco. (laughs) 